This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. We're going to be looking at a very special set of verses here in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, which talk about the special role that Jesus plays right now, every moment of every day, functioning as our high priest. We don't need any other system. We don't need any other priestly order in order for us to have everything we need to be in a constant position of right standing with God. And that agency comes through the role that Jesus plays as high priest. Now, the people to whom the writer to the book of Hebrews was writing were being tempted to abandon their identification with Christ and go back into the Mosaic system in order to get some persecution off of them for a while. And the writer was saying that will be a great mistake in the here and now for them to do that sort of a thing. There are some blessings that come by being faithful to God and being true to Christ even when sometimes it creates difficulties in our lives because we receive certain spiritual growth factors when we go through that, plus there are special blessings that will come to us in the life to come and in this life as we suffer persecution, because even our Lord suffered much persecution and rejection while he was here up to the point of death. But here he's pointing out this superlative role and this very important part that Jesus plays in our lives every day. And he's talking about the fact that Jesus is a superior high priest. He pointed out the fact in the first four chapters of Jesus' superiority to angels. Now he's shifted gears and he's talking about the fact that Jesus gives us a superior priest, a superior representative before God, the go-between that can make us right with God through atonement. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men, in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. This points out that a high priest must be human. In that way, he can be humane. That way, he can understand how we feel, because he himself knows what that's like. And Jesus was human. He has to be appointed by God. And we're going to see later in the chapter how Jesus is appointed by God not under the Aaronic priesthood, but under the order of Melchizedek, which is a whole other discussion coming down the road. But Jesus, he's in a superior position of any other earthly priestly order, including the one that came by revelation of God through Moses. So he is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. A priest, a high priest in Israel, on a limited scale and a daily basis, but at least once a year on the Day of Atonement, offered blood sacrifices for the sins of the people, but he also had to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he himself was a fallible, sinful human being. Jesus, of course, can offer the perfect blood sacrifice because he has no sin, even though he is totally human, but he's also totally divine. And so a high priest offered gifts, which would be blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, but they also offered gifts. Gifts were like meal offerings and drink offerings that were presented along with the animal blood sacrifices. And I think what the gifts are that Jesus brings is his perfect life. It accompanied the sacrifice that Jesus made of himself on the cross. He died for our sins on the cross. But the reason why that death was totally efficacious, to use a big word, was totally satisfying, got the job done, so to speak, was because Jesus lived a perfect life. So just like a priest, he offered the supreme gift of a perfect life as well as his own blood in order that we might 
be made right with God. In verses 2 and 3, and also in this very first verse, he talks about the fact that a high priest functions in a priestly order. He's able to do these things because he is appointed in a priestly order to do it. Now, Jesus is appointed in an order, which he will discuss later, called the Order of Melchizedek. It's a very special priestly order, which functions outside of and above any other kind of order, like especially like the Aaronic priesthood or the priesthood given in the Mosaic law. So Jesus meets those prerequisites. He is a man, he is human, and he has been appointed to the job. Now, in verses 2 and 3, it also talks about the fact that a priest must be compassionate and sympathetic. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weaknesses, and because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. Now, he must be compassionate and sympathetic. He's got to be able to identify with us, and Christ, of course, most certainly can, because he was totally human. And he knows what we're going through and he faces what we're going through. Now, when it says he was beset with weaknesses, doesn't mean that Jesus had any deficiencies. He wasn't weak in some of the ways that we're weak. It just meant that he has experienced what it's like to be human. He has shared in the suffering of being a human being, the things that go along with just having to share humanity. So he experienced that. And he had to be able to do that in order that he can represent us before God and he can deal gently with us. And he can put up with us without being harsh to us because he's in the middle of something. The meaning of that is to be in the middle of something to bring balance, to be fully involved in all that we are as human beings and yet to bring a balance between us and God. And a great high priest, a compassionate high priest, the ones that fulfill the office effectively, had to avoid the extremes of apathy, which is just not caring at all, just doing going through the rote motions, or excessive feelings. I see that function oftentimes in the legislative work that you have to do, whether it's in the House or the Senate. You are there to represent people. In a certain political oddball kind of sense, you serve a priestly function. Your qualifications for office, you have to have, meet some qualifications to serve. First of all, you have to be a citizen of the United States. You have to be a citizen of the state of Michigan, and you even have to be qualified by living in a certain place. You have to be a certain age. Also, you can't have certain demerits against you. You can't have, for example, a criminal record or things of that nature. And then also you have to qualify by being able to get enough votes to win your office. And if you're really a good legislator, you avoid the extremes of just apathy, I don't care, uh, you know, just doing nuts and bolts stuff or being excessively over-identified with one particular faction of the people that you have to represent. You're not there to just represent one group. You're there to represent as best you can, in the most equitable way you can, the entire populace of the district from which you come. You bring balance to this thing, and what Jesus was able to do is he's able to deal gently with the fact that we are both ignorant and misguided, We commit certain sins because we're ignorant of the fact that these things will kill us. These things are harmful to us. And we're misguided. We get led astray by false teaching and by the general condition of being human. And so Jesus went through all this just like we do as a man, yet he didn't sin. Therefore, he qualifies in a unique way to be the perfect sacrifice 
and to be the perfect go-between and to be the perfect balance that's needed between us and God's requirement of a perfect life. We can't produce that, but Christ as God, because he's infinite, can provide it for all of us because he was also human and he lived without sin. In verse 4, he talks about the fourth qualification was that he had to be appointed by God. So he had to be compassionate and sympathetic, and then he also had to be appointed by God. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So the high priest had to be appointed by God, and Jesus, of course, fits this function. And the illustration that he gives is the messianic high priest had to be appointed just like Aaron was. Aaron was called, was singled out by God, first of all, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 33, to serve as a priest. And then later, he was called into the priesthood and the founder of the priesthood in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, where he was then set aside and his descendants were set aside in perpetuity to be the only ones that could serve as high priest in the nation of Israel. And then it was reconfirmed later in the Exodus wanderings, in the wilderness wanderings, in Numbers chapter 7, verse 8. So he and his descendants alone were qualified to serve as the high priest. That was even true at the time of Jesus. The man that was serving as high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron. He had to come from not only the tribe of Levi, but he also had to come from the Aaronic clan. And one of the things that was done across the centuries among the Jewish people was keeping track of who your ancestors were, who the founder of your clan was, what tribe you came from, so on and so forth. That's why the Messiah had to come before 70 AD, because in 70 AD, when the temple was burned, all those records were destroyed. So the Messiah, in order to be able to be identified as the Messiah, and we read his genealogy in Luke, and then we also read Joseph's genealogy, his earthly adopted father in Matthew. But both of them were the descendant of Judah, but Mary being the qualifier was a descendant of the tribe of Judah through David, through David's third son, Nathan. So in the same way, the guy who was serving as high priest at the time of Jesus, in fact, the man that was one of the people who condemned Jesus in error and in sinful rejection of Jesus as Messiah, was a legitimate descendant of Aaron. Thus, he and his sons were the only ones that were allowed to serve as high priest. In the history of Israel, when men tried to usurp that office that were not from a descendant of Aaron, bad things happened to them. For example, during the wilderness wanderings, a guy named Korah, who was a Levite, he was from the same family tree as Aaron and Moses, but he got upset about the fact that only Aaron and his sons get to serve as high priest. As a Levite, he could do other things, but he and his family couldn't serve as high priest. And he, he was said, we, we need to be able to do that. And as a result, he was judged by God and he died. Uh, the earth swallowed up and swallowed up him and his family and uh, everybody who had joined him in that rebellion. Later, after the period of the judges, And when King Saul was first chosen, he was chosen on condition that he would prove himself to be faithful to God. And he failed that because in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 5 through 14, he took on the role of priest in a public gathering 
to offer sacrifices, something that only the priest was able to do, and that priest at the time was Samuel. And because of that, he was rejected as king, and his descendants were rejected as being the monarchical line through which the Messiah would come. And that went then to David, the son of Jesse, a descendant of Judah. Later in the book of Second Chronicles, we're told about King Uzziah. Now, Uzziah, in many ways, was a very good king, faithful to God. But in his latter years, toward the end of his reign, he decided that he could, he should be able to be able to go into the holy place, not even into the Holy of Holies, but just into that first section of the temple and burn incense in the holy place. I guess he wanted to see what it was like to be in there, to see if he could experience the closest to God or something. And when he just got inside the door, he was stricken with leprosy in his feet and he had to be quarantined. He had to be put outside and not associate with people, and he died a very painful death, even though he was a faithful king. Nevertheless, in that rebellion, he suffered a consequence for it. So Israel learned that only the descendants of Aaron could serve as high priest. One of the most interesting things among the Jewish people is the fact that even to this very day, the only tribe that has kept its identity is the tribe of Levi. And so if you encounter someone with the name of Levi or Levi or Levinson or Cohen, which is the Hebrew word for priest, that person's family is a descendant of the Levitical group. Now, I don't know if they've kept track of the descendants of Aaron or not, but there are many who anticipate the rebuilding of the temple at some point in the future. And there is biblical evidence that that will indeed happen. It will not be because God authorized it, but because men in willful rebellion against God have chosen to do it. But nevertheless, that's an interesting facet of Israeli history that is still present today. So, negatively, no man can take this honor, that of being high priest, unto himself. But positively, a priest must be called by God, and that's exactly what Jesus was. He was called by God uniquely, just the same way that Aaron was. Aaron was called, he was appointed, and affirmed by the declaration of God. Jesus was also called, appointed, and affirmed by God. So, let's look at these four prerequisites in sequence. Number one, a priest had to be human. So, Jesus was human. Because of the fact that he was born of a virgin, demonstrates that he was also divine. The fact that he lived a sinless life shows that he was divine. He never sinned in thought, word, and deed, but he was most definitely human. He was totally bound as a human being by the restrictions that we have, and he lived by faith in the provision of God. From time to time, the divinity was allowed to function, but Jesus did the miracles that he did, not in his own divinity, but by utilizing as a man the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. The second thing is that a priest had to function in a priestly order and offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Jesus is in the priestly order that is outside of the Aaronic priesthood. It's one called the order of Melchizedek, which God will explain later in the book of Hebrews. But it just means it had to be a sanctioned priestly order, worshiping God alone, that was appointed by God. And Jesus offered both gifts and sacrifices. 
the sacrifice of his, the loss of his life, his, the giving of his blood in that kind of sacrifice, but also the gift of his life in living a sinless life in order to qualify to be the perfect sacrifice. A priest had to be, according to what we just studied, both compassionate and sympathetic. And Jesus was certainly that. He was known for his compassion toward us as sinners. He looked upon the crowds and he had compassion on them, the Bible says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has compassion on us. He forgives us. He loves us. And I I certainly hope that you have experienced that grace and compassion in your own life. And the fourth thing, he had to be appointed by God. And Jesus is the supreme divine appointment. On three different occasions, God broke through and actually spoke out loud and said, this is my son, hear ye him. This is my beloved son. On three different occasions, God made a special verbal benediction that men heard and they recorded it in the gospel accounts. And hundreds, if not thousands of people heard those declarations at the time that they were given. So Jesus fits the prerequisites of high priest. Just like you had to fit certain prerequisites in order to qualify as a legislature, Jesus had to fit certain prerequisites to qualify as our high priest, our sufficient and complete go-between between us and God. He is the bridge. He is the God-man. May God richly bless you.